for you. And now I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of Luke, where we will continue in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the pew, this is on page 856, where we're beginning in verse 57 and reading through the end. It's 80 verses long. It's one of the longer chapters uh, in the Bible. So this is our, our third time coming here to this first chapter. Luke's a great storyteller, and what he has done is he's introduced us to one couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and news of new life that would be coming to then, and then he takes us, changes the scene to another couple and something that's going to happen, and now what we do today is we come back to Elizabeth and Zechariah and wonder, so what, what ends up happening with them? Well, this is where we pick it up in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. Is that interesting? It took Apple 2,000 years later to make a tablet, and John was using one right here in the New Testament. It's a bad joke, but verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the days of his public appearance to Israel. And that's where we'll conclude our reading for today. So we come back now to this couple, and they're in the later stages of their pregnancy, and the child is going to be born at any moment, and the child is born and brought safely into this world, and there's great joy on the part of everyone, friends and neighbors and relatives, in the celebration of this birth. And, and part of that joy is because it had been a desire of Zachariah and Elizabeth for the whole course of their marriage to have a child, but they were not able to do so. 
And so there was a particular joy and there was an undeniable reality that God had been doing something in their lives, that this wasn't normal or totally natural, that clearly something special was going on. And so there was a special kind of joy that they received. This prayer had been answered. That's what the angel said to Zechariah earlier in the chapter, that your prayers before God have been answered and your wife will have a child. And so here, this blessing that they desired for a long, long time had finally come. And so with that, then, you could imagine immediately sort of then a temptation to say, you've finally given us what we had longed for, what we had hoped for, what we had prayed for. And so that then in their minds, they would say, now here are all the things that we want to do. But amazingly, what they're able to do, in part what's just exemplified in the controversy over what to name him, is that they realized that though this was a gift from God, and it was a gift that they wanted and a gift that they desired, that ultimately God had given this as a gift to them, but that he would be a gift to others. That they were blessed to be a blessing. That this wasn't now their moment and their opportunity to do everything that they wanted to do with this child. But that this child, as a gift from God, was also given for God. And that he was going to serve a specific purpose in God's plan and have a different kind of life than most other kids who were born. And that that was intentional. And that they willingly do that. That it is, it is Elizabeth's own desire to say, no, 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 don't name him after his father. He's not just going to do what his father did. He's not just going to be another priest. God is doing something totally different with this child. And so, yeah, we don't have any relatives. There's no one else to compare him to because what God is going to do in and through him is unique. None of his uncles have done it before. None of his grandfathers. This is a a specific purpose that he is going to serve. And so, though it is a gift that is given to them, it is a gift that is then to to continue to be given for the sake of, actually for the sake of all of us. It's the nature of the gift, that they recognized they didn't deserve it at all, and so therefore it was not now, even this child, theirs to do whatever they wanted. And it reminds us, as we said a couple weeks ago, their story is so much like Hannah's and Elkanah's, where they had prayed for a long time for something, and they desired to have children, and they weren't able to. And then the Lord hears their prayer, answers, they have a child, and then that child is given into the service of the Lord. And we step back and say, wow. What, what kind of amazing faith is that, that when you finally got what it was that you wanted the most, you were generous with it? You, you didn't hoard it. You said, God, what do you want to do with the gift that you've given? But because they were able to acknowledge that God was ultimately the source of the gift, then they were able to pass it on. But there is a little bit of attention in it to say, you know, that's, that had to be frustrating at times, right? It's kind of like the experience of taking a young one to a store and then telling them, well, you can look, but you just can't buy anything. Really? So I can look at this and I can touch this and they make it now that you can push most of the buttons so you can hear what it does to try to entice them to buy it. And that was our experience last night. I mean, Levi just going through and pushing all these buttons and seeing what everything can do. It's, oh yeah, no, look, look away. Yeah, look, keep looking. Can I have it? No, no, it's not, not yours. We're not bringing it home. You can't have it. Or even for Joshua, the, the experience in the last couple of weeks has been bringing out ornaments. And then he can't talk yet, so we can't have a conversation. But I just kind of imagine the conversation going like, look at this new box of toys. No, 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 this isn't a box of toys. 
What do you mean this isn't a box of toys? It's not a box of toys. You're not allowed to touch this. What do you mean I'm not allowed to touch? This looks like everything else I'm allowed to touch. I'm not allowed to touch knives or spoons or forks, or what, but this looks exactly like the things I'm allowed to touch. No, that you're not allowed to touch this. These aren't toys. And then pull one out, which is actually a basketball, a soccer ball, and a football. And be like, you've got to be kidding me. That is a toy. That is exactly everything else I play with. No, you, this is not a toy, and you're not allowed to touch it. This is going on a tree. And then he'd be smart and he'd say, well, that's not a tree. No, that is a tree. No, it came out of a box. That's not a tree. And so I'm glad he can't talk yet. And that it, it develops over time because that's probably how the conversation would go. What is this stuff that I can look at, but you're saying it's not for me. You're saying I don't get to now just do whatever I want to do with it. And that's the nature of this gift that's given to Elizabeth and to Zachariah, that they've been given something. It's something that they deeply desired and longed for, but that they would immediately say, but because it's a gift, and we know that it's not just our own doing, and it didn't just come about because of our own effort, who are we to then say that it, it, everything has to now, from here on out, go the way we would want it, and according to our own plans? Yesterday, I, I experienced this, this attitude in, in the most humbling way. You know, there are some experiences in your life when you genuinely feel like you are on holy ground, and everyone who's there knows it. And there really is no way, even as much time as you would give to try to describe it to someone else to adequately describe it. Yesterday, it was at a funeral. It was at a funeral of friends, Tim and Noel Beck, who were a couple who was expecting a child, and she had gone full term into her pregnancy. And then in the very last ultrasound, there was no heartbeat. And so then they sent her down town to be checked and to make sure. And unfortunately and sadly, it was confirmed that the baby no longer had a heartbeat and no longer was alive. And yesterday, Tim and Noel got up in front of about four to 500 people and just shared very openly from their own perspective the entire journey that they had been on, that they had longed for a long time to have children, that they had sought multiple times adoption and doors had closed that weren't that they had desired to open but did open, and then they had tried biologically to have children and realized that those doors weren't opening and doctors told them those doors wouldn't open and that they simply had to be content with where they were in life and that that was a struggle for them. And so after all of that, to then become pregnant and all the joy that that meant for them and all the experience of having a shower and decorating a room and all of those things. And then they said, that the, the, one of the reasons they were able to address everyone just a few days after this horrible tragedy in their own life was because God had also all along the way been instilling in them and confirming in them that one, everything is a gift that nothing is guaranteed, that you can't take anything for granted. And so there she stood. She said, she said, I always wanted to be pregnant, and you know what? I got to be. I got to be. I got to feel this baby kick. I got to, and that she tried so hard, even in her own experience, to say, because I desired this for so long, I was going to be really sure to try never to complain during it. And there's plenty of things you can complain about, but I didn't want to be the person who complained when this was something I had wanted for so long. And God had spoken to them in multiple ways and conversations that they had together as a couple just days before they got that news of ways that God was already preparing their hearts and their minds 
for the reality that anything could happen and that they had to be close to each other and that they had to be close to God and so that that was the worst day of their life. They could not deny that God was with them, that he was present with them, that he was holding them and that he was watching over them. And so they orchestrated and, and planned this whole service last night and it was a worship service. We sang. I've never been in a group of so many people that didn't want to sing. It felt, it felt completely inappropriate to sing when at the front is a casket this big. But they planned the songs, and so hundreds of us, no one wanting to sing loudly, and so in this kind of broken voice, yet desiring to honor their own requests, to lift up praises to God, and to sing, <laughs> you know, Holy Spirit, come, bring your presence here. And that it was sung as a groaning of all of us to say, we do need you. <laughs> we do confess. We absolutely need you in this moment. And one of the ways that they were able to process, even just initially, their own grief and to to just guide everyone else in that process was to say it again and again, just don't ever forget that everything is a gift. We don't deserve anything. God hasn't promised us a life without suffering. He hasn't promised us a life without pain. We live in a broken and a fallen world. And so don't ever just assume that because A and B happen, C is guaranteed. That's not how life works. And so if you're experiencing A and you're experiencing B, just enjoy every step along the journey and trust that with whatever comes, God will be with you and he will give you what you need in the moment that you yourself would say, I can't handle this. I couldn't go through that. I couldn't. How could I possibly? You can't. But God knows who you are and he is able to minister a peculiar and special grace to you for whatever peculiar trial you might be going through. Dwayne Krabs, who leads South Street Ministries in downtown Akron, when he led the word, he just reflected that it's in Matthew's gospel where Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that that's the gospel that in conclusion, Jesus says after his resurrection to all of his followers, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And to believe that that's true, that God's promise to you is not that you, we won't go through hard times, not that we won't experience trial, but that he will never leave us nor forsake us in any of those experiences. And so here, this, this couple, when it says that, and the son was born, and then there's all this joy, it doesn't just say, well, and everything happened the way it was supposed to. No, it says, and there was a, just great mercy shown. Because nothing in life is automatic. Nothing in life is guaranteed. And whatever things we do get to experience and enjoy, we ought always recognize and acknowledge come from the mercy and grace of God. And so when Zechariah, now muted for months, can finally speak, he's not ready to say all the things he's been thinking to say and all the people that he wanted to talk to. The first thing he wants to do when he has the opportunity to talk is to bless God. Because in his inability to speak for months and just to be on the sidelines watching God work in amazing and mysterious and powerful ways, he's just reminded afresh that this is all God's doing. And so he, just like his wife, they can both look at this child, John, and say, but he's not ours. He's not ultimately ours to do whatever we want with. 
And so Tim and Noel actually named their son Enoch, the one who walked with the Lord and then was taken up to heaven and was no more. It was a powerful statement of their own faith to say God has not abandoned him. God has not left him. There's all kinds of things that we want to do that we can't do, but every blessing promised to us as his children will be experienced by their child. Where do we get that kind of hope? It's in this gospel, it's in this story where God himself enters into the story of our pain and our suffering and he promises to bring about redemption. That's the definition of hope. So the nature of the gift is that this is something that has happened to them. They realize they don't control this. It's for others, it's for everyone. And so things aren't going to go according to their plan. And then in Zechariah's praise, when he can finally talk and he prophesies, he speaks in the past tense about the salvation of the Lord. He says, he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation. So that if someone was sitting next to him and said, wait, 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 Zachariah, you're getting ahead of yourself. He hasn't done that yet. He hasn't done that yet. Jesus is still in the womb. John was born. Jesus isn't born yet. And we still don't know how this is all going to play out. But his hope is a confident expectation of a future reality. He believes right now, confidently, not just wishful thinking, that God is going to do what he said he would do. He's going to keep his promise, and salvation is going to come. And so he can speak about it from his vantage point. I mean, John's only a week old at this point. He's not doing anything but crying, okay? Nothing but crying. But Zechariah can say, God has started something that he will complete. He is doing something here that only he can do, and he has visited us. He has redeemed us. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. And so he looks forward, and though he has no idea what's going to happen to his son, and we don't even know that they're around, but those of you who know the New Testament, you know what happens to their son. You know what happens to John for speaking the truth. He pays for it with his life. He becomes a martyr in the faith, but by precisely doing the very things that God was asking him to do, by fulfilling the destiny for which he was born, he, all, he pays the ultimate price. Zachariah could not have known that entirely, and he could not have known exactly how this salvation would have been brought about. It's the very, very beginning. And so I love the, in verse 78, he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. In other words, dawn is breaking. And so we title this message, the dawning of hope. It's, it's the very beginning of the day. The light is just starting to shine. We're not at high noon yet. It's, not everything is clear. Not everything is bright at this moment. But there's a sense that the momentum is shifting that we're coming out of the darkness and into the light because of what God has begun here, first in the coming of John, who would anoint the Messiah, Jesus, and announce to the world, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's a couple decades away, but the dawn has started. The daylight is beginning. The light is starting to shine. But yeah, Zechariah could not have known all that that would have entailed. 
but we need those moments where we just initially begin to see and believe again that the momentum is shifting. For me, one of the more dramatic expressions of it in movies is, uh, it's an older movie now because Pixar is pretty much all I've seen in the last couple of years, but it was an older movie called The Patriot where there's a battle scene in the Revolutionary War and the, uh, the Americans are not winning at that moment. And the person who's assigned to hold the flag starts retreating and he's done. Like, hey, this, this is over. And so he starts running the opposite direction. The main character says, what are you doing? You can't do that. And so he takes the flag from him and he starts running in the other direction. And everyone who's retreating at that moment just looks and they see the flag going in the other direction that they're going and so they stop. But they're in that moment where, no, we're not giving up. We're not stopping. This, this, all is not lost and the battle is not yet over. And so they, that hope, that, that just beginning and glimmer of fight left turns them around to go back. And we need that. We need those moments in our own lives where either we or someone else grabs the flag and does something to say, don't give up yet. Don't be overcome by this. Don't isolate yourself from everyone as you're going through this. Allow people to love you. Allow people to care for you. Allow people to shepherd you. Hear their stories and how God provided for them when they, thought, when they went through something they never thought they could overcome. And as you hear those stories and as they come alongside you and encourage you, hope begins to dawn. The light begins to shine and you say, there is enough strength for today. And so I trust that there will be enough strength for tomorrow. And that's really all Jesus has ever asked of his children. When he taught them to pray, give us this day our daily bread, I mean, he, he narrowed it down. Just trust me for what you need for today. And if you believe that you can make it to tonight, then tomorrow, trust me again. And believe that I can get you through tomorrow just like I got you through today. That I'm going to be faithful to you in each of those moments. But hope has just begun to dawn. And we can't go too far forward into the story. But we do know that Zechariah though he was confident of salvation, would have been limited in his understanding of how it was going to happen because John himself was limited in the understanding. When John's an adult, he, he, he tells everyone that Jesus is the Lamb of God, but then he gets arrested and he's in prison and he has a couple of his disciples and they're hearing stories about Jesus and John says, I'm going to send you guys to Jesus and can you ask him, <laughs> can we just double check that he really is the person who we thought he was? Because there's something about this story now that's not going the way we thought it was going to go. And so John sends his disciples. And Jesus says, when you go back to John, tell him all the things that you've seen and all the things that you've heard and how many people are praising God because of me. And so when we look back through these verses in light of what Jesus actually did, in light of the cross, we can come back to these verses and, and, and understand them at a totally different level that Zechariah would have been able to understand them. Hopefully your Bible's still open. Look down at verse 74. So when Zechariah says that because of Jesus coming, we will be delivered from the hands of our enemies. Well, we're delivered from the hands of our enemies because Jesus was delivered into the hands of his enemies. It says that when he does this, we'll be able to serve him 
without fear. Well, you and I are able now to serve him without fear because he was willing to experience the Garden of Gethsemane and to tremble. And then when he says in verse 78 that because of the tender mercy of God, the daylight has broken in, the sunrise has begun, we can experience the inbreaking of that light because at high noon when Christ was on the cross, it went dark. He allowed the darkness to come upon him so that the light could break forth in us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time, at Easter time, all year long. Because those truths change everything. Who would come and not just deliver us from our enemies, but allow himself to be delivered into the hands of his enemies? Who would come who had nothing to fear and choose to tremble? Who, seeing everything clearly in the bright light, would choose to allow the darkness to overcome him? Only Jesus. And so he's the one that we worship. And it's his birth that we celebrate as totally unique and different. And to know him and to love him is a gift that we've been given And then again, but not for ourselves, not to then do what we want with our Christian life and with our plans, but to make the whole of our lives and the whole of our plans open to him to then say, God, what do you want to do with all the blessings that you've given to me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we do just want to lift up our friends, Tim and Noel. We ask that you continue to watch over them that you continue to guard their hearts. We thank you for the peculiar grace that you have bestowed in communicating to them in miraculous ways that have encouraged them in the midst of incredible grief and tragedy. That they cannot deny your presence and that they cannot deny your love and that you really have not abandoned them or forsaken them but that you are the one who who gives us hope. You are the one who allows the light to come in when the darkness seems to have its way. And Father, we do thank you. And we share in the joy of Zachariah and Elizabeth. We thank you for the birth of John. We thank you for their willingness to set him aside and to be used by you in unique and peculiar ways to serve you, to point people toward you and to announce to the world your Son. We pray that you would help us to take a stock of our own lives and all that we've been given and all that we've received. That you'd help us not to feel guilty about anything that we have, but that we would just overflow in gratitude for all the ways that you've blessed us. And that we would serve you without fear. And that we would serve you in holiness and in righteousness before you that we get to love you and know you in the ways that we do and that we would desire to bless others because of that. In your son's name we pray, amen.